Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Zero calorie, zero sugar. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Great to be back. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week we have our number 56s. But before we do that, it is time to return to the quiz stadium. That was good. That was very clever. Very tight. Thanks. I wrote that one. Uh, <laughs> that's what having a month off does. The score, as it stands, is 22-19 to Chris. You've slowly cultivated the three-point lead. So let's see if you can extend that or if Minty can draw it level in three episodes' time. <laughs> what Nintendo system oh. was released... After the N64... GameCube. Correct! <laughs> when did the Game Boy Advance came up? Or come out? When did the Game Boy Advance come out? 2001, I believe. Let's double check. Came out March 21st, 2001. And the GameCube came out September 2001. So oh? actually the correct answer is the Game Boy Advance. Well, did they specify home console? Should we, should we let them off, maybe? It says Nintendo <laughs> System. Well, I think the card is wrong. Hence my hesitation. Oh, uh, that's... So yeah. Minty can have the point, but... Mm. Well, know. Minty has got the point. Uh, that's, my, that's actually my decision to make there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And I'll tell you what, Chris, if you want to uh, give these guys a call... <laughs> if you could just uh, send the information in the WhatsApp group, I'll, I'll get in touch later. So, for those of you who are listening, we have actually returned from taking a month-long break since the last time we recorded, owing to me getting married, and we recorded a few episodes before that in case I needed to take some, some time off. So it's actually been a month since we last got together to talk about what we played. So, in a change to the usual question, what have we been playing this week? What have we been playing in this last month? Chris! Well, I made a little list because uh, I, I know we kind of talked about there being a lot to to potentially say, but I've, I've chosen out three games that I think are worth mentioning or, or kind of notable in some way that I've spent a bit of time with this month or, or this last, yeah, three, four weeks. First, I, I beat a game on the Switch that came out on the eShop called The World Next Door. That is a really pretty looking match three puzzle game come sort of a light RPG visual novel thing. It's like a bit of a mishmash of genres. And it kind of it isn't quite as good as any of the individual parts should be. It's, it's one of those that, that doesn't quite work, but was still enjoyable enough to kind of get me through the four or five hours it took to beat it. The puzzle part of it, all the battles in the game are done on like walking around a grid of symbols that you can pick up and rearrange in real time to make these matches and then sort of attack enemies and things like that. And the sort of visual novel stuff or, or light RPG stuff is all a bit, it's like teen melodrama sort of script type stuff which is fine <laughs> but the whole thing it's like it's it's a little bit shorter than i think it could have been or should have been the battles themselves are a little bit more shallow than i think they could have been characters are kind of a little bit less developed than than kind of the really nice art implies they they could have been and it just it felt like one of those projects that maybe it could have run out of time or money or enthusiasm that just meant it, it didn't quite become what i think it had the potential to be one of those ones so that that was kind of a middling experience but but worth it for a couple quid i guess 
The next thing that I've, I've been playing the last few days, mainly, because it just turned up in the post, is a game called Metal Wolf Chaos. Those are three good words. It is. It is a good title. But it's it's a really ancient exclusive uh, from the original Xbox that had never left Japan. Like, it never got localized. Yeah. That was developed at the time by From Software, like years before they found fame oh, with, wow. with any of the Soulsborne stuff. And for reasons I've never really picked up on, uh, someone picked up the rights to the game quite recently, like in the last year. And then uh, the publisher Devolver Digital got involved. And through that, it's kind of seen like a proper release for the PS4. Nice. But it's it's a really ridiculous like mech game, essentially. And the storyline is that you are playing the role of the president of the United States who decides to jump into a huge mech suit <laughs> and deal out tough justice to like a coup d'etat across the whole country that's been spearheaded by the vice president. Amazing. And it's, it's really, really bananas. Oh, I don't know. Let's see what happens next year. <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah, knows? I mean, who knows? To, who to knows? be honest, we're, we're going through uh, all the impeachment stuff at the moment, aren't we? So... You know, th- this could be very true. Th- there's nothing that to really stop uh, Mecca Trump jumping out of the White House in the next few weeks. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really dumb game. It's, it's got B-movie voice acting that's kind of almost like Earth Defense Force that I talked about a few weeks ago. The action itself is quite robust and fun. In between levels, it's got this really nice, like, uh, it's got a good sense of humor. It's got sort of interstitial propaganda videos that are being kind of as if they're being presented by the, the people running the, the coup d'etat, like the, the vice president, and have this kind of Fox News style packaging over them that's that's really fun and it's not the best game by any means but i just really like that it exists and now has like a new western home on a current generation console because i remember reading about it and thinking oh that sounds that sounds insane like i'd I'd love to play that and obviously never having the the ability to and yeah to just pop up quite recently is quite nice and then the last one that i wanted to mention is a game i think both of you would enjoy quite a lot actually uh, it's a game called Forager. Ah, uh, yes. It's just got a physical release, but it's been in the eShop for a while on, on the Switch. And I'd, I'd basically describe it as being, it's a crafting-based idle game, but one that you have to play actively. So you, you can't leave it to idle, but it's got all the, the trappings of that sort of format. And um, like I've never had a problem with idle games. I, I, I quite enjoy them, but the bit of them I enjoy most is like the opening few hours when you're actively making progress with it open that you're actually playing it and doing something because you make that sort of quick attrition sort of progress really early on before you then have to kind of start just leaving it in the background and it becomes something you just check in on for two minutes a day so all the games I've played like Clicker Heroes or Adventure Capitalist I've enjoyed them but I sort of lost interest once I wasn't really having to play them they were, they were just playing themselves yeah whereas in forager it's like you're building things you're crafting things there's there's generators running helping kind of like uh, create currency and things like that but they don't do anything when you're not playing but the game itself you never really get bored because it gives you a lot of micro tasks to focus on at the same time so it's got like an expanding world to explore and unlock it's got skill trees to work through it's got little small dungeons to play through some nice kind of like quite difficult puzzles to solve as well that either environmental puzzles or or quite sort of laterally thinking puzzles and I, I bought it actually after your wedding I, I bought it that morning in Cardiff before I got on the coach home oh nice played it for probably four hours on the coach like just solidly and then in the last couple of weeks have beaten it basically fully over like 20-25 hours sort of thing but I, I think it's list worthy. I think it's a game that I've enjoyed so much the last wow. couple of weeks. I, th- I think mm. it could it could make it onto my list if I was revising it now. But I'm looking forward to hopefully revisiting it when it gets some of the updates that are already available on the PC as they kind of migrate across to consoles. So hopefully in time, I'll, I'll come back to it and, and still enjoy it as much as I have so far. But they're probably the three games I think are, are worth mentioning most that, that I recall best from the last few weeks. Not saying that's all I've played, but 
they're, they're, they're games that I have enjoyed. Nice. Sounds like they are three games. They are. Definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you cannot prove otherwise. In a similar parallel to what you were talking about with Metal Fox Wolf Chaos Gear Solid <laughs> That's it. Adventure. That's the one. I finished playing Nino Kuni on the Switch and immediately jumped into playing Nino Kuni 2 on the PS4. Lovely. Where you play as the president of America who is uh, transported to the alternate world and immediately picks up a sword and is very proficient with it and uh, uh, goes about starting to rescue prince of ding dong dale and try and rebuild a kingdom against the rebelling rat contingent mm-hmm. and it's very good uh, i mean immediately there was so many quality of life upgrades from the first game is it good then is nino kuni 2 good it is absolutely superb. Yeah, it's brilliant. Like, the battles are a lot more active. Yeah. It feels more, you know, like a Zelda game or something, uh, but it's still got party mechanics and stuff. Uh, graphically, it's absolutely stunning. It looks yeah. just gorgeous. So far, it's, I'm having a fantastic time with it, but I put it down once I started getting busy again because it's on the PS4 and not on the Switch. It's not as easily pick-up-and-playable. Yeah. But I'm very much looking forward to getting back to it at some point. The other things I've been playing, I've played just a whole suite of Switch games. First of all, I played Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz HD, which is an absolute fuck- Fallout! In travesty. Oh. I was so disappointed because, I mean, I, I, I love, love, love the first Super Monkey Ball game. I, I definitely enjoyed the second Super Monkey Ball game. I didn't enjoy playing this on the Wii. I didn't have a Wii. I played it briefly and it, just the motion controls were just a pile of shit. And I thought, wait, well, without the motion controls and I, I was enjoying it until I got got to the first boss level which is just inexplicable and just so badly designed that it totally ruins the pacing of the game any sense of kind of skill that you have it was just it's just appalling utterly appalling coupled with the fact that the mini games in the game were just I mean, they cut them down from about 60 minigames to about two, and they were <laughs> dreadful what they were. I mean, it's it was it's just, it, it was, yeah, so disappointing. Because I, I literally, I was playing the first 10 levels, and I texted my friend Steve saying, oh, this is absolutely fantastic. And then probably about 10 minutes later, texting him saying, scratch that, it's a fucking <laughs> monkey, monkey tennis. tennis. load of gobshite. <laughs> what I find mental about, about that game as well is that, obviously the boss battles were in it on the Wii as well. And if it's this not fun to play on the Switch when you have actual full control with an analog stick, I cannot imagine playing those bosses where you had to flick the controller to jump. Yeah, absolutely horrendous. Horrendous, yeah. Horrendous is the word. It's it's not fun. And it really does take away any goodwill they build up to the point of the boss. Yeah. It actively discourages you from wanting to play anymore. Yeah, I traded it straight in. Yeah, I was livid. Uh, then the patch finally got released for Bloodstained to fix all the bugs. Oh, yeah. On, well, on both the Switch and PS4, because I I'd got really frustrated with it on the PS4 because it kept crashing because it doesn't have autosave. It has save points. I was so anxious all the time doing anything thing that it was going to crash and I was going to lose everything that it would stop being enjoyable and the Switch game I knew was just horrendously buggy and just a really bad port finally the patch came out so I decided to rebuy it and play it on the Switch and I love a Metroidvania on the Switch (laughs) on a handheld it's brilliant and I played through it and had a fantastic time really good game doesn't reinvent the wheel it's a Castlevania game essentially and it was really really good I didn't quite have the stamina to kind of 100% it because there's a lot of kind of grinding involved to kind 
kind of upgrade all of the shards and the abilities and stuff and i thought you know what i've completed the game i can imagine how the rest of it goes and then i bought ring fit adventure oh have you felt the burn as it were oh my goodness me yeah not as much as minty did who decided to set up a profile and play it on the the most intense setting <laughs> i mean i did i did it on the second most intense and it i was really feeling it and uh yeah i think minty underestimated just how um effective the controller is and the game is knobbing around with a circle how hard could it be turns out minty then fell over when he tried to get up after dinner that evening because <laughs> your legs didn't work yeah i mean, I mean literally <laughs> but i must say it is very effective i mean very very cleverly designed very good fun as well if it hadn't been for the fact that after the first sort of couple of sessions i then got incredibly busy and now i'm incredibly ill (laughs) that i haven't gone back in for another go yet but again i'm really looking forward to doing it after this next week i should be a bit quieter and hopefully i'll have recovered from this horrendous cold this dreadful (laughs) malady and i'll be able to jump back in uh, quite literally very very clever very good and then and ultimately I got Luigi's Mansion 3, which was fantastic. It's been a busy old month, hasn't it? It was really nice because I had some time off after my wedding. I basically just spent the time with my wife and played Luigi's Mansion 3. (laughs) (laughs) It's a romantic game, what can I say? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's so good. Like, I think you said something recently, Chris, about the brilliant thing that untitled goose game does is lets you set up and deliver your own joke yeah which is brilliant and luigi's mansion 3 felt like that as well it felt like i was playing a pixar film yeah and not in a way that like red dead redemption 2 is like playing a film it was really fun (laughs) 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 and it was constantly hilarious and surprising and funny and it was just great it was really good fun and yeah, I just, I had no problem just blasting all the way through it. It was just great. Really, really good game. And then I traded it in. <laughs> You're so brutal. I, I admire your ability to just uh, like scythe through your collection. Well, the thing is, I mean, you know, the sooner you trade it in, the more money back you get for it. You do things the right way, like sensibly. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen your shelves. Yeah, it's, it's bananas. But there's like this fear in me that it's like, well, what happens if in 20 years time, I really want to play that game I didn't enjoy again? <laughs> like, yeah. It, it's stupid. It's, it's not a, a sensible way to, to do it. I wouldn't say it was stupid, but it is certainly ill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is certainly something that could be diagnosed and treated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but but we but we love you. Thank, thank you. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, I am going to talk about. Well, I'm going to start with an apology, because I have been known to grumble and moan with every single announcement that was released for Pokemon Sword and Shield. And I said how annoyed I was that I was going to buy the game, regardless of how unimpressed I was with how it looked, and. I am what can only be described as wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sorry, Game Freak, for having doubted you. I certainly did not get on the hate bandwagon that there is, which I think is abhorrent. And I must say that every single decision that they've made with this game that has changed it from what I thought I wanted has been for the better, for the series, for the game. The game is absolutely fantastic it feels great to play so many quality of life upgrades the wild area is just miraculous it's it's not the smoothest because there's so much going on Mm. and so it does sort of judder and struggle a little bit just because there's other online users who just appear and are there and doing stuff there's so much going on i'm sure that'll be smoothed out but 
the world feels so alive and part of that is to do with just the design and the offline stuff but then in the wild area it feels like there's just a whole world of, of people playing and you do raids with people you can visit their little campsites you can cook with them and make curry for your pokemon and play curry. and it's just i mean i never <laughs> thought i would enjoy that but they've made it so that i really really enjoy it the wild area from from my understanding having not really kept up is it more than just being um a space to catch pokemon then is it actually like a social area that is it like a live thing yeah it is yeah but you can play it however you want really that area and i said before when i was talking about xenoblade chronicles that that's what i wanted from pokemon and the wild area is pretty darn close there's so many pokemon there there's so many like big terrifying pokemon that you think you might be able to handle and you get into a battle and you think actually no that's level 50 i need to get out of here quickly i can't it's terrifying or you find yourself really overwhelmed in a raid that you're out of your depth in and it's constantly changing and evolving and like i said there's all these other players appearing that you can chat to and they can give you ingredients for your curries <laughs> curry exactly i mean it sounds it sounds so silly which is why i was like in curry you've done a whole f- in Nintendo f***ing direct to tell me that I can make a f***ing curry. Yeah. And yet. And yet. And yet. Oh, it's wonderful making curry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just fantastic. It just, it's brilliant. And the design of the new Pokemon, there's some brilliant new Pokemon. And yeah, I, I absolutely wholeheartedly support what they've done with this. I'm just having a fantastic time playing it. Wow. Minty. So I finished Dragon Quest, traded that in for Luigi's Mansion. Didn't quite finish that because I started playing Pokemon Shield. And right up until the very last moment when I saw you playing it, Mm. it was a coin toss between me getting that or Snooker 19. (laughs) Peter Ebden! Not a joke. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the... the... I mean, you know, we're all uh, we're all varied people, aren't we? But I, to be honest, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but I haven't completely shut that door yet. I love how it only took you seeing me play it for not even half an hour, probably, and you were like, "Oh, okay. What time does game open tomorrow?" <laughs> yeah. And you w- walked into town, crack of dawn, got it, came back, and uh... I, I mirror everything that you say, Jonathan. Not not quite as enthusiastically, but it's still great. Uh, I'm still enjoying it. I mean. Pretty much, I think most of the criticism that was levelled at it, you can sort of see where they're coming from, but it doesn't matter because it's it's a really fun game. Mm. Yeah. As someone, like I, I say, who is not a big Pokemon person, would I enjoy it? I absolutely think you would. I think it's a really good entry point. Because like the, the only ones I've played, as, as I've mentioned, I played obviously Red when we were kids. I played Let's Go when that came out recently and enjoyed it, but more for nostalgia than, than anything else. And it's, it's a series that I, I don't know why I haven't been able to like commit to again in all these years. Yeah. So I don't know. And am I, am I going to be that person that drives out after we record this and picks it up? Maybe. <laughs> I hope so. I really, really hope so. Because I think you would have a fantastic time with it. It feels almost like a soft reset of like the series because of how they're limiting the Pokemon and saying, right, okay, this is it. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't feel like you need to have been playing all the other games so they can all connect into this one. It feels very sort of yeah. contained and it's got a good story and it, it doesn't hold your hand, but it can do if you want. Like you can skip the tutorials in the opening of the game which is the first time you've been able to do that in 
yeah. 20 years. That's That was incredible. Yeah. And so you just go, it's like, do you know what you're doing? Yep, carry on then. Do you know how to catch Pokemon? I do. Ah, I knew you would. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's brilliant. With the limited Pokedex thing, is it ever alluded to in any of the Pokemon games about why either the number of Pokemon was growing or in this case, why the number of Pokemon is lessened? There is often references to, certainly since the first game, there's been references to the fact that there are Pokemon in other regions and, and oh, I once saw one of these and, you know, they don't have those over there. And, yeah. and so, like the Sun and Moon, because they had the Alolan form Pokemon, yeah. very much kind of inferred that it was its own kind of ecosystem and that particular part of the world had evolved and developed different Pokemon you know entirely differently so it's kind of a bit of a sort of a given that other areas of the pokemon world have different pokemon mm. and also all the games have had their own region pokedex in addition to what's called the national pokedex which is essentially the complete pokedex yeah so in pokemon sun and moon you'd have the alolan pokedex and it would contain all the pokemon that were available in the alolan region which would contain pokemon from previous games and they would all be numbered in an order that could be completed just between sun and moon and those those two games okay and then usually when you as has been the case for the last few generation pokemon games when you complete it you then unlock the national decks and then it unlocks it you know so it's got the order that we all recognize bulbasaur number one and whatever floopity goop at number 900 (laughs) billion whatever and then you can start to trade in your old pokemon and try and fill that out yeah essentially sword and shield doesn't have the national decks it just has the galarian pokedex which is about 400 pokemon which is significantly more than has been in any of the other region specific pokedexes yeah yeah also pokemon company have said that the way of cultivating your collection of pokemon is going to be done through the pokemon home app that's coming next year yeah and that's going to be where you're going to have caught them all and that's going to link to loads of games like you know pokemon go and pokemon bank and probably sun and moon and sword and shield and and everything and I have no idea what they're doing with that game. When I heard about it, I thought, well, it's just going to be Pokemon Bank and you can just look at your Pokemon, but I imagine there's going to be more stuff you can do in it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing actually what they uh, what they are doing with that, especially given the fact that this is their opportunity to kind of deliver on a lot of criticism. Yeah. But I, I had my faith restored. Well. But uh, the main game that I have been playing is actually a mobile game. You, you may have noticed that escape rooms have become a big trend in the uh, tactile entertainment industry. You, you go into a room, get locked in, and you'll have to like work out the order of, I don't know, some, some cups, which will then give you a code to open a door, which then leads into another room where you have to figure out the code on a padlock based on something to do with pot plants. <laughs> or something like that. This is a vivid picture. Yeah. If you've done loads of these escape room games, but you haven't spent a good 15 years playing flash point and click adventures on your PC, you are a fraud, a coward, a dilettante, and you will not survive the winter. <laughs> Me and my wife love point and click games, and we've been playing through a series by Rusty Lake called uh, Cube Escape. It's like eight or ten self-contained escape room puzzles. They're very strange, very mysterious, almost dreamlike in their loose narrative and some of their strange puzzles. In one, you're a bird, and then that's that's the bird that uh, somehow gives people bird faces, and then a woman is murdered, and you have to find out who murdered them. 
before realizing it might have been you, but you don't know because it's weird. Anyway, Cube Escape by Rusty Lake. Me and my wife have played through all of them and we've had a lovely time sort of texting back and forth, being like, have you done this one? Do you know what to do here? Where do I find the... Cubes. Plunger. (laughs) (laughs) They've been really nice sort of bridging this gap between the two of us just by having something that we can both enjoy together. I've really loved it. Good. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Shall we move on to the rankings? Oh boy. Let's give this a go. Starting this week, we have Minty. Oh, great. Can you please tell us about your 56th favourite video game? I can, yes. Go for it. Do you remember when Wind Waker was announced? Yes. Kind of. First Zelda game on the GameCube, and it came right after that uh, that big realistic tech demo sword fight between Link and Ganondorf that everybody was just foaming over. Like, <laughs> this is it. This is, this is going to be the Zelda game that kills the PS2. And then what came after looked like the uh, big budget movie outing of Hey Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) People were incensed. Like, Shigeru Miyamoto, what have you done? It looks so kiddy, I can't believe it. That that sentiment just saturated nearly every single Nintendo magazine that was coming out at the time. And it makes me feel a little less bad about the death of print. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that they, the Nintendo didn't listen to these sort of great plumes of weeping nerds and their toothless vitriol, though, because otherwise we wouldn't have gotten this beautiful, beautiful game. I've already talked about what it seemed like that tech demo would become in uh, Twilight Princess many months ago and how it was a very muted, very bleak and slightly sad world. Mm. Uh, this one was the opposite, though. Stark colours. Cell shading, glorious animation and facial expressions. It was just an exquisite visual treat. But what really stood out to me when I was playing it was how it felt like um, just like a really cohesive and complete story instead of just coming off the back of Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time. It was more it was more of an organic journey than just a set of dungeons. Instead of being like, oh, you, you are the hero and you have to go on the journey. It's like, oh, your sister's been kidnapped by a bird on your birthday. Luckily, another bird helps you get passage onto a pirate ship captained by another girl who was the first one that was kidnapped by the first bird and dropped in the forest. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Classic first act stuff. Very personal journey of the hero until he gets thrown out of the evil lair of the bad bird's master and is taken to safety by a boat that, right, get this, doesn't just sail itself, but thinks for itself. And speaks for itself. It is hey. indeed a bird. Hey! <laughs> it is indeed a boat that speaks the word of men. It possesses no sail. And a boat with no sail can sail no seas. That's neither here nor there because you sort out that particular conundrum fairly quickly. So after, after we're rescued, we need to get the legendary Master Sword to get our sister back. Which takes us around the Great Sea for the first time as we collect lovely big balls to open up a long old tower yeah. where the hero is tested by the goddesses you shoot an arrow into a big robot's nose and you succeed i mean tolkien couldn't have written it better <laughs> <laughs> and then we rescue our sister with the help of the pirates and head off to defeat the bad bird and its master before trawling the great sea once again to find the golden triumph forks it took me a long time to get that gag. Mm. The penny didn't drop for an embarrassingly long time. There was no dropping of the penny for me. It was already in my pocket in the bank. But there we go. I am younger than you. So Anyway, the Golden Triumph Forks give you the power to vanquish Ganondorf, who is the big bad guy. 
Always is. Always is, isn't he? I mean, get a hobby. Although I suppose it is his hobby. Get a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Gandalf. Well, the, the MacGuffins in this game are actual things that you can collect and you can hold instead of just, you know, the thoughts and prayers of people who have been sealed away by Ganondorf. And having the overworld split into 50 or so islands on a vast ocean that you can sail pretty much anywhere you want to, in any order you wish, it, it really ramps up the sense and the satisfaction of exploration and makes each island you discover its own sort of sun-kissed mini-dungeon filled with puzzles and treasures, a lovely world, brimming with life, despite the best efforts of the antagonist. Speaking of the antagonist, the final battle was great as well. This time around, uh, Ganon was a bunch of puppets instead of uh, a massive pig, and the ensuing sword fight with Ganondorf was preceded by a superb soliloquy that, I mean, looking back, it effortlessly crammed in at least a few thousand words of backstory and motivation into the antagonist before leaving us with uh, what I think was the first fantastic cinematic Ganondorf death. Oh yeah! Link turns Ganondorf's head into a pedestal for the Master Sword, and as he feels the wind that blew death and destruction across his desert kingdom, ushering him into the beyond, a wry smile plays across his face as he slowly turns to stone. That shit sticks with you, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Great game. Tasteful amount of tingle. <laughs> I won't say anything more about this now because it is... It is let, let it be known that uh, I like this game more than you. <laughs> sure, sure. And that's fine. I know. Moving on. We have Chris's game. Can you please tell us about your 56th favourite video game, Mr. Dow? I can. I'd love to, actually. I've been looking forward to this one. In 2001, I got my PlayStation 2 for Christmas at the end of that year. And it was a joint gift between me and my brother, Tom. And although the, the machine itself was a shared present, we got two games each uh, to go along with the PlayStation 2 that year. And each of those four games are represented in my list. Yeah. So they, they were all kind of quite quite seminal titles, uh, obviously, in, in my own kind of uh, enjoyment of games. Now, the, the first of these four, obviously, is appearing today and is my 56th favourite video game. And it is Namco's Time Crisis 2, the light gun game. Ah! Because... Time. Uh, the PlayStation 2 had a fantastic home console port that really was better than the arcade version in, in almost every way. Like it, it had nicer graphics, it ran more smoothly, it had alterable difficulty, it had some small Easter eggs, and it, it just felt quite rewarding to play because you, you were getting things for, you know, getting further each time or whatever. There are things obviously it couldn't replicate from the arcade, so it couldn't have like the big chunky pedal that you press down to, to jump in and out of cover. It didn't have like the physical recoil on the light gun like it did in the arcade. And most tragically, it didn't have the um, sort of asymmetric co-op mode that the original did when it was in the arcade. It has two big screens. So when two people were playing together, you were essentially like seeing the same scene from different angles so you can provide cover for each other. That's fun. So it's quite a social experience to play, play in the arcade. Like it's, it's really good fun. Regardless though of these omissions, I, I played the PlayStation 2 version from Christmas Day that year through to pretty much the next console generation. Like it was my favorite light gun game out of any I played in that time. And it's just a really great version of, of a really great game. After that, the next console generation, when when I say like I moved on, was the HD generation, for better or worse, like, like the 360 and the, the PS3. I always really liked like, the physicality of light gun games, that you had something in your hand that you were shooting at the television. And I, I always felt like genuinely a bit sad that the move from standard definition on CRT TVs and monitors 
up to high definition on LCD or LED or plasma or whatever, it robbed us of the ability to hook up light gun games. Like they just don't work anymore. It's not the same thing. Uh, the way the picture is produced, it, it can't work. So although we had this great increased resolution, we had clearer pictures, we didn't have scan lines or ghosting, all these things we got used to on a CRT, which were all really great, it's not as good as playing House of the Dead or Virtucop 2 on the Saturn with a big bright blue pistol. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I love games these days, but there, there is certainly something that we've lost over time. The Wii tried its best to sort of simulate light guns using the Wiimote and a sensor bar. But the more you played it, it was impossible to shake the feeling that you were just dragging a cursor around the screen rather than actually being able to kind of like quick draw and shoot. Just because of the way that the, the technology worked, it was never going to be quite quite the same. And I mean, I think I'm probably waffling a bit over stuff like that because there's not a huge amount to say about Time Crisis 2 as a game. Like, whether you've played it or not, most people are aware that it is just a game where people jump up and you shoot them and then you press a button to jump in and out of cover and shoot some more people. You fight through a bunch of these scenes, you, you beat a big boss and then you move on. So it, it's essentially like the basest sort of instinct game that it's just trigger goes click, man goes dead. And it's, <laughs> it's just that kind of instantly gratifying experience. So it's not really a game that you can intellectualize like I try and do sometimes. It's just a game that's like a quick sort of dopamine hit, just about reaction times and memorization and optimization of just your own sort of path through it to get better or faster or, or a higher score or whatever. And for that, it's a game that I think anyone can have fun with the first time they play it, whether it's in the arcade or on the PlayStation 2, even if you're kind of burning through credits really quickly and not making much progress then the more you play it, the more you get back to it, the more you have kind of an overview of the layout of each stage, it gets more and more fun the more you do it because you start being able to kind of rinse each scene as if you're like James Bond. It's You can really kind of leap into it and think that you are an absolute crack shot that's just going to take down this entire enemy force. I'm trying to think about why Time Crisis 2 in particular is my favourite light gun game. For a long time, I, I couldn't really work it out until I started thinking about it. Okay, well, if I, if I take like the context of other light gun games that I enjoyed and sort of work backwards about why there's things I like in this one better. It's more polished than the original Time Crisis. Again, whether that was on the PS1 or the arcade. It's less bloated than Time Crisis 3 and its other kind of like indirect sequels. So it's a bit more focused, I think, in experience. I think it's more reactive than Virtuacop that I already mentioned. That is a really good game, but it's much slower. It's more deliberate. Enemies are kind of like telegraphed a bit more explicitly, whereas Time Crisis is much more about spotting something and having to do something quickly. I think it's much less frustrating than House of the Dead because for my money at least I think they're games that rely a bit too much on enemies taking multiple shots because they are zombies and they rely really heavily on chucking a lot of projectile attacks at you that are not that fun to kind of try and avoid uh, by, by shooting them out of the way. And then the, the, the only other game that was really in contention was something like Point Blank. Oh yeah. Like a series which I, I think is probably like a, it's a good reference point for WarioWare like in, in terms of uh, WarioWare having a lineage, I think Point Blank is probably in there somewhere if you talk to the original developers because it used like quick mini games, it used disparate styles, all the stuff we talked about that previously. But I think Time Crisis is a bit more coherent. It's more enjoyable as a solo player because Point Blank, I, I really don't think is much fun unless you have a second player to compete with. Time Crisis 2, it's just a really solid light gun game. And I think it's interesting that it's the type of game that still pops up in like seaside arcades. I think there's one in Margate somewhere a Time Crisis 2 machine still. We should definitely have a look for that next time I'm down. Yeah, I, I'm sure I've seen one in one of the arcades along the seafront, but it, it still draws a crowd. Like, it's still something that people enjoy, even though it's now 
you know, 15, almost 20 year old technology. It's kind of, it had a great home console port. Like I mentioned, like the PlayStation 2 one I played to death when it came out, which unfortunately is much harder to, to play these days, but it's still really, really great. And I, I think it's the type of game that I'd, I'd really encourage people, if you ever do see it in an arcade, chuck a few quid in and you will always have a good time. I don't think you can play a, a version of Time Crisis and not really enjoy yourself. But you just have to know that the PS2 port, even though it's probably been relegated to attics and charity shop bins across the country, yeah. it is the best way to experience it. And it's a real shame that it's not easier to do and there's no kind of... Uh, like current technology that allows you to actually play these these fantastic games because they they satisfy a very particular niche that I don't think much else does and even gun games in VR don't stimulate quite in the same way I'm not sure what it is but I, I haven't had as much fun playing kind of that sort of light gun game in VR as I did in an arcade so I don't know what it is but Time Crisis 2 a game that everyone should play at least once and uh, one that's just really really good fun excellent have you played it? I'm absolutely sure that I have played it at some point. I uh, yeah. my only home console light gun experience was Virtual Cop Two on the Saturn, yeah. and we just had the best time. I, I'd still like light guns are still something that I think are voodoo or magic or something, yeah. Because I don't I, do, I don't understand how they work, and don't don't tell me. <laughs> I've looked it up. <laughs> I, honestly, I've looked it up before to try and understand it, and I can't relay what what it's telling me. And it is, it's very fun magic. Yeah. It's a shame that, like you said, the tech has sort of disappeared, that that tech. And I mean, there is like equivalent stuff with motion controls and VR stuff and all that sort of thing. But um, it will never really recapture the magic of the memory I have of playing Virtual Cop no. 2 co-op with my brother in our lounge or wherever. And I imagine it's the same for you with Time Crisis. With the light gun and the way that the CRT screens work with them, there's like a one-to-one immediacy that... Yeah, no tech really replicates now because even like I said in, in VR you're using say like a move controller or using a motion controller or whatever there's still like just enough of a delay that it doesn't feel like you can play as instinctively as, as you could in like a proper proper light gun game yeah and there's something about like the reactive physical quality of the apparatus you're using with the guns and stuff that yeah absolutely it counts for so much have, have you played these games Minty? Uh, n- not on a console has to be said but Pretty much every time I go bowling, I, I, I would always ask my parents and more recently my wife for a pound <laughs> and yeah, just have a great time with it. It's yeah. really good fun. So lastly, but not leastly, we have my game. Jonathan Dunn. So for my game this week, we are going back to a similar sort of era, the early noughties and the era of the GameCube. Oh, Yeah, Good console. Do you guys remember the incredibly exciting announcement of the exclusive Capcom 5 games? Yeah. Yeah. That was like such a big coup for Nintendo and the GameCube. The games featured, I mean, we had the third person sci-fi action game Project Number 3, which turned out to be very underwhelming. (laughs) Then we had the incredible looking Dead Phoenix, which looked like the sort of next generation Panzer Dragoon game that we were all after by we all I mean me and you probably Chris and my <laughs> yeah, brother yeah <laughs> uh, and unfortunately that died and well never rose again from the ashes <laughs> but it's still one of my all-time favorite video game trailers that I mean yeah and when I remember it I go onto YouTube and I search for it and I find it and uh oh, it's just yeah never forget 
Then we had the schizophrenic, ultra-stylish, noir action mystery thriller game, Killer 7. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, don't think I ever actually got around to playing it, but... Um, that's, a, that's a trip. Yeah. That, that's a, that's worth a blast if you ever get a game. I think I was a little intimidated by it, mm. uh, so I didn't. Then there was, of course, a little... I think it was like a third sequel to some, I don't know, some old zombie game called Res- uh, Resident Evil, was it? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Never heard of it. And then finally, my 56th favourite video game of all time... Beautiful Joe. Wasn't Ooh. did that count? Oh, so it would, wouldn't it? That's a Capcom one, yeah, of course. It is. Developed by Clover Studios. Yeah. And released by Capcom. So for those of you who have never seen it or played it, Beautiful Joe is a, a very stylish 3D cell-shaded side-scrolling beat-em-up action game. I think that's probably all the genres that it fits in. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. play as the titular Joe who is magically pulled into the world of the movies through a cinema screen to fight alongside his movie hero superhero Captain Blue to rescue his girlfriend who was kidnapped by some hooligans because you are in the world of the movies you then get access to a whole range of VFX powers to manipulate uh, time uh, mainly so you can slow time down and then you can dodge projectiles that are being fired at you or you can speed up time to fire rapid attacks or you can do a uh, crash zoom and zoom in and it drastically increases your attack power and you fight through several different worlds each one with a huge massive boss at the end and i mean the whole game is just an incredible over the top eyeball melting extravaganza of a game the one thing I haven't mentioned thus far is that it is one of the hardest games I've ever played. It's not easy, is it? No, no. Even when playing it on so-called easy mode or kids mode, as it was called. A little bit of trivia. When it was released eventually on the PS2, they added in a even easier mode called sweet mode that I, I, I don't know. I never played that, so I don't know if it was actually easy or uh, certainly i'm so sure it was easier but I, I doubt even still it was easy but uh, i guess you know playstation owners needed a need a little help there in order to be able to get through the levels you really needed to have razor sharp reflexes in real in-depth handle uh, on the controls you had to know how to combine your special moves when to use them how they worked how much they drained your vfx power meter and that all had to be coupled with a good knowledge of the enemy's attack patterns i mean it really was it was brutal We've spoken before about how we don't really have the time to play all the games that we want to yeah. anymore and don't certainly don't have the time to pour into, you know, bigger open world games. We were also bombarded with so much choice. I mean, I know I've got a library of over 100 games on Steam, half of which I've never played, half of those I probably never will play, <laughs> a whole bunch of PlayStation Plus games I've downloaded and haven't touched, a handful of games I've bought on the eShop on my Switch that I haven't got around to checking out, and now I've got a catalogue of over 100 games on Apple Arcade to choose from at any, any given moment that I want. I mean, it's like with Netflix, where I'm sure most of us probably spend more time browsing what to watch than actually watching stuff, and yeah. um, with games now i find that i don't end up getting too into the post-game content with some games and, and certainly not 100 percenting games like i used to because well i know that i've got this gargantuan queue of games waiting in the wings so I, like we alluded to earlier i usually just finish the main game uh, trade it in and move on otherwise it's gonna sort of sit on my shelf and taunt me until i've 100 percented it so i'd rather get it out of sight <laughs> out of mind what's next yeah the reason I mention this is that I remember what, what it was like when I was a teenager and I didn't have a disposable income that 
like I do now and I would have one game and it would have my full attention and that would be for months which is why I became incredibly good at Beautiful Joe. <laughs> like many action-adventure games, each section of each level had a rating that you could achieve, like A, a B, C, D, etc. And you get a better rating if you completed it quickly or you killed sort of all the enemies, collected enough collectibles and taking as little damage as possible. And, I mean, this obviously is in there to give a, a lot of replay value to a game for those of us who wanted to get the highest rankings which would then in turn unlock more cool stuff and give you kudos on the playground <laughs> as it did i'm sure and this was applicable in all the difficulty levels so after i sort of dipped my toes on the sort of easy mode which was uh like i said it's called kids mode you then can do the game on full-blown like adult mode as it's called and then if you manage to complete the game on that you and you're feeling extra masochistic you can do it on v-rated mode and if that wasn't enough, there was also a final fourth difficulty setting, uh, which was, I think it was called Ultra V-Rated Mode, where you would die in about two hits. All of the difficulty rankings, the bosses would start to move faster and faster and faster. And in Ultra V-Rated, they had like double the health as well. And it was just, it was insane. I mean, it was, it was stupid. I, I never completed the game on Ultra V-Rated Mode, but I did do it on V-Rated, which is probably one of my prouder video gaming achievements. <laughs> and I certainly then rinsed through kids adult and v-rated to get the highest rankings on all the levels and i became well yeah like i said uh, you know i knew the game like inside out by the back of my hands could do it with my eyes closed i could not do it with my eyes closed <laughs> like i've said with several games before the thing that clover studios got right with this game is that it was hard but not unfair and above all fun to play even if you would spend an entire night of playing just dying repeatedly, the satisfaction you got from pulling it off on your 600th attempt made it entirely worthwhile. I'm, I don't like to use the term Souls-like, but it, it has got that Dark Souls quality to it. I absolutely love this game, and I'm very disappointed that they haven't revisited the series for a new instalment or even an HD remaster of the first game or the second game or a collection of both. It feels like it's begging out for that because yeah. it would look stunning in HD or 4K as it probably would now, you know, if they released it on PS4 Pro grade or whatever. I'd love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. And I mean, if they announced that they were doing a Beautiful Joe 3 for PlayStation 5, I would be... I just... I would... I would like that. <laughs> I, I wonder I wonder who has the rights to it these days I don't know Clover did uh, Akami as well didn't they and that Capcom I think have again because that came out with a, a re-release a couple of years ago uh, Beautiful Joe has there's been no rumble whatsoever outside of like the, the core games back then so I, I honestly don't know if it's something they're just going to sit on forever and do nothing with mm. maybe at some stage either members of, of Clover wherever they've ended up or, or Capcom themselves could do something with Beautiful Joe as a collection because it had one and two it had a weird spin-off on the DS it had a kind of almost Smash Bros sort of um, multiplayer fighting entry as well yeah Red Hot Rumble that was it that was it I always wonder with games like that it's like the code must be laying around yeah it, it can't be that much of a stretch to just go oh we just bung them together you know it's not like a it's not a high risk way of releasing games and I'm surprised more companies that have these properties don't do something with them like that. It's a shame because it means it's one of these games that the more time that passes, the harder it's going to be to get hold of for people to play if they do want to check it out. And yeah, yeah it's a real shame. It's a, it's a real shame because, yeah, I mean, it's a great game, great characters, 
great writing great voice acting very good great story great graphics great music great gameplay great game great joe great joe great joe so there we have it another three games first of all we had the legend of zelda the wind waker and then blacker blacker time crisis 2 before finally the beautiful gel if you enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do like and subscribe leave a review share it on social media tell your friends if you want to get in touch with us you can do that you can find us on facebook if you search for our three cents and you can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or leave comments and opinions on the games that we're mentioning in these episodes we'd love to hear from you as proof of that you can reach out to us individually you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at Chaz underscore hodges and i am clement underscore boo and please do join us next time for our mini boss level 55 <laughs> and shin a go go baby goose <laughs>